So that's a little bit about us. You got track? You got it? Is yep. it working? Yep. Stick okay. in your pocket. All right. <laughs> so that's a little bit about uh, my background and how I uh, how I came to the Lord. I still have not gotten over what God did in my life in 1970. Amen. I'm, I'm 63, 62, I'll be 63 in a few months. I can't never remember. Is, is that what happens when you get your age, David? You can't even remember how old you are? <laughs> so, very good. What I want to do is, in each of the messages, I want to take one of these themes. No reserves, no retreats. And no regrets. Because these are all issues that every single one of us face at various stages in our lives. And it's good for us to kind of remind ourselves what the Spirit of God would want to say to us. How are we doing on time? Okay. Okay. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 12. I love the story of Abraham. Because as near as I can tell, Abraham was the first guy who crossed cultures to follow the call of God on his life. Okay? And so, I, I just, I just, there's just a lot of insight, I think, in Abraham's life for a missionary. And so we'll actually start the reading at the end of chapter 11, uh, where his dad actually starts out on a journey, journey from, if you're a King Jameser, Ur of the Chaldees, which is kind of over there in the area where Baghdad is and the, 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 the Euphrates and Tigris rivers. You remember studying that in school, the Fertile Crescent and all that? It's kind of over there. And his father starts out on the journey. And so let's pick up the reading right there near the end of uh, chapter 11. Uh, verse 31 says, um, And Terah, <clears throat> Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And so the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to the land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired, interesting phrase, uh, people whom they'd acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I'll give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the east and Ai on the or Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then so Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. Fascinating story. 
Going to Canaan land was actually a journey Abraham's dad started, but didn't finish. And I'm always intrigued. Why is it that sometimes people start walking with the Lord, following the Lord, obeying the Lord, but do not make it to where God has called them to go? I had, as a missionary, as I travel around speaking in churches, doing fundraising and recruiting and public relations, it's, it, it's, it's really surprising to me how many people come up to me and say, you know, when I was a teenager or when I was in college, God called me to be a missionary, but I never made it. And so then the standard, I so admire what you're doing and so on. And I, and I appreciate them saying that. I had one lady who said that to me and I said, there is nothing to stop you going right now. And she said, oh, my husband makes too much money. And I wanted to say, do you realize how ridiculous that sounds? But I don't. I'm a nice guy. I gave her one of my prayer cards and said, would you like to take support? <laughs> And, uh, but I've always wondered, why is it, I mean, here, his dad started out on this journey, but didn't make it to Canaan. And I've always wondered why. And th there's a lot of different theologians have different explanations of, of why. Um, some people say, well, the, the answer is right there in the passage a, uh, where Abraham had a brother named Haran. Haran was Lot's dad. And Haran, his brother Haran had died. And it says that when Abraham's father got to the town of Haran, he settled there and he died there. That's interesting. So what happened? I mean, what happened? Abraham's father's going on this journey and he gets to this town and does he stop there and name the town in honor and memory of his, his dead son? That's one possibility. You and I know people who build monuments to the tragedies in their lives. Hmm? And probably every single one of us here in our lives has gotten stuck or in some way because of some tragic thing that happened in our lives. That's a common experience and so that's one possibility, that he was going along and the death of his son, he just got stuck there and he built a monument, he named the town after his dead son, and he just, he chose to live there. And you and I know folks that live in the town of tragedy and can't seem to get through that. I bought, I bought a book a number of years ago. I loved the title of it, How to Get Past What You Can't Get Over. <laughs> Christian book. And, uh, and all of us have had tragic things that have happened to us. That's one possibility. Some people said, no, no, what happened was they were going along and they came to this place and, and Abraham's dad said, what's the name of this town? And they said, oh, this is Haran. Now, that's also a possibility because actually, now I'm sure you knew this, in the Hebrew, even though the words are pronounced the same, they're spelled slightly differently. The name of the dead son and the name of the town. They're pronounced the same but spelled differently. You knew that, didn't you, Adam? Say yes. Yes. That's good. <clears throat> that's a possibility, too. I mean, all of us have had situations where we go through life 
And something happens to remind us of a, of a loss in our lives. It pushes our button and we, and we, we get stuck. Either way, those are very real possibilities. But see, I think, I have my own theory. My theory is that the answer is not has to do with psychology or emotions. My theory is that it has to do with geography. Okay? Now, follow me with this on this. All of you remember when you were in school, the map of the Fertile Crescent, right? Do you remember that? Got this map and there's kind of this green area on the map that goes up and down. They followed the Fertile Crescent. Starting in Ur of the Chaldees, which is down here, and they went north, northwest, north, northwest, northwest. And right at the top of that is where Haran is. In fact, if you keep going with Haran, past Haran, you end up in Turkey. <coughs> it is easy to start out on a journey and say, I'm going to Canaan. I'm going where God's calling me to go. But you go a certain direction and you do a certain thing for so long, you substitute following God's call with going north-northwest. Are we together? Mm -hmm. We substitute the method for the mission. I've seen this over and over. It's one of, the th one of the challenges I face as I work with a mature mission organization in helping people develop strategy is so often they substitute the method for the mission. The Methodist Church is guilty of this. Whether it's an independent Methodist Church or a Nazarene or United Methodist or Evangelical Methodist or any other well, Baptist, any church, is that often we substitute the method for the mission. And uh, so here his father's going north, northwest, north, northwest, north. When you get to Haran, if you're going to go to Canaan, you have to make a very hard left and go south. It's hard to hang a left. It just flat out is when you've been going a certain way, doing things a certain way, it is hard to, to hang a left. I heard one guy say, I love change as long as it's somebody else that's doing it. <laughs> and in order for his father to get where God wanted him to go to, to Canaan, he had to hang a hard left when he got to Haran. And we've got to remember something. Sometimes God calls us to go to a certain place so that he can then make us change directions to go to a different place. It's hard, the hard part is knowing when that is. I think the answer was psychological. I think his dad found it so hard to hang a left. And there's those of us in our own lives and in our own ministries where... It's hard to hang a left. It just is. And I think there are very sad words in this passage because it said when Terah got to Haran, it says he settled there. That's not where God wanted him to settle. He settled there. 
And then there's even sadder words here. He died there. Don't settle. Short of where God's called you to go. Hmm? Don't settle for pain and tragedy and difficulty. Don't settle for Haran when God's called you to Canaan. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Don't settle short of God's destination for your life. It's very interesting. Then the next part of the passage, very chapter, in chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, it said, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, and I'm going to go to my Hebrew scholar here. Actually, in Hebrew, it didn't say the Lord had said to Abraham like he had said it to him just once. It's kind of one of those continual things. The Lord had been talking to Abraham. Do you ever have those situations where the Lord's kind of talking to you? He's kind of working with you. He's, he doesn't just say something to you once. He kind of just... The, it's like you were talking about the executive team trying to figure out where the Lord was leading and how the Lord wanted you guys to structure so you'd be organized to beat the devil, right? The Lord had been talking to you. And it says the Lord had been talking to Abraham. And he said, uh, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to the land that I'll show you. If the first lesson of this passage is, don't settle for Haran, the second lesson is, go farther than your father. Go farther than your father. I like the next verse. I will make you a great nation, I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, my last name is a difficult last name. Mühleisen. It's a good German name. My great-grandparents came over from uh, Germany. My father was, and uh, my, my brother and sister and I were the first generation to grow up with English as our mother tongue. My father grew up speaking German. And so my last name is Mühleisen. It's a hard last name. Now, it's actually two names together. Mule, like Mueller, and Eisen, like Eisenhower, okay? Mule is the German equivalent of mill. Like Mueller in German is Miller in English. Mule means mill. Eisen means iron, steel. When I first heard that, I thought, all right. Somewhere in my ancestry is an industrial tycoon who owned an iron mill or a steel mill. This is great. And in fact, if you go online to go to muleisen.com, it takes you to a German company that does precision milling, machine shop, precision milling of, uh, of steel and, and stuff like that, precision, I mean, high-end stuff, custom milling. And uh, so I thought, wow. In my history, he's an industrial tycoon. Tycoon. It's like Andrew Carnegie, you know, some steel, iron. And then somebody who knows who knows uh, German better said, actually, it's not that kind of iron. It's scrap iron. <laughs> 
And so I went from being Andrew Carnegie's son to Sanford and son. <laughs> because somewhere in my history was a junk man. And that really discouraged me for a while. Until I realized my Lord took things that other people discarded and said was worthless. And he turned it around into something of great use and great value. So my name's a good name. It's a good name. It's a good name. But I love that verse. I'll make your name great. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. I thought, this is fantastic. I had a dream one time. I was in Nairobi. I was pastoring a church, and I had this dream that I got a phone call from a lawyer in the United States saying, you, you know this uncle of yours? And I knew the name. I'd never met him, but I knew he was a distant uncle. And I said, yes. He said, he died. I said, well, that's very sad. He said, yes, it is. But he left you as the sole beneficiary in his will. And he was worth... $88 million. And those, I remember this from the dream, that $88 million was invested in tax-free municipal bonds that were bearing 1% per month tax-free. And I was going to get a 1% of $88 million, do the math, $880,000 per month tax-free for the rest of my life. In my dream, I was so excited, I woke up. <laughs> and didn't get to spend a lick of it. For months after that, I prayed to the Lord, Lord, let me finish my dream. I promised the Lord that I'd tithe my $88 million. <laughs> my $88 million. That didn't work. And then I said, Lord, I'll double tithe. And I said, Lord, I'll, I'll help fund a whole bunch of missionaries. The Lord has chosen not to allow me to finish my dream. Therefore, I have concluded that it was not a dream, just a dream. It was, in fact, prophecy. <laughs> and so if any of you would like to help make that prophecy come true, let's be sure to talk a bit after the... Uh... So, wow. If lesson number one is don't settle for Haran, lesson number two is go farther than your father. Many of us have wonderful dads. Not all of us, but many of us. Every, almost every single one of us in this room has more education than his daddy. Not all of us, but most of us. Most of us in this room, not all of us, but many of us probably are more affluent than our father was at this stage in our lives. Not all of us, but many of us. Go farther than your father. Make your daddy proud of what God has done in his son's life. So Abraham starts out, leaves where he was, takes, his, takes Lot with him, takes Sarai with him, and all the possessions that he had. He's a real wealthy guy. He had significant resources, and all the people he had acquired. I, that's a fascinating phrase. And I don't know if that means staff or employees or if hangers-on or if slavery was involved or if there was just a whole lot of people that started out on this journey following Haran 
uh, to the promised land. I don't, I don't know what that means. But all I know is that God has called us never to make a journey alone. Always take someone with you. Don't make the journey alone. So he gets down. He gets down. God has a sense of humor. When he was writing the Bible, he had a sense of humor. Here's this amazing thing. They get to Canaan. They get to Canaan. And he starts traveling around through the, Canaan, through the land of Canaan. At the end of verse 6, here they are in Canaan. And you know what it says about Canaan? The Canaanites are there. The Canaanites were not nice people. They sacrificed children. They were pagans. They were, they, these were bad folks living in darkness, idolatry. You can be right exactly where God has called you to be and surrounded by a bunch of heathen sinners that you'd really rather not be around, that you would never choose to be your neighbors. And some of you are preachers here and you just really wish you didn't have those people as some of your church members. Well, not your church, but you've heard about it in other churches. <laughs> you can be right where God wants you to be, and you're surrounded by the Canaanites. You can be right where God wants you to be. That's an amazing thing, that God sometimes calls us right into the middle of a battle for the souls of when we'd really rather just kind of be standing on the outside watching the fight from over here. Some of you guys are United Methodist backgrounds. That's my background, too. And, uh, man, we're all praying for the special general conference that starts just a little over a month. And there's some serious issues being decided. And it, the big, in my opinion, the biggest issue is not the, is not the issue that's on the table. It's biblical authority is the issue that's behind that. This is a presenting symptom. This is my opinion. I don't know. You guys are more involved in it than I am. When God calls us right into the thick of the battle. So he starts traveling around. And another interesting thing that Abraham does, it says, it said, the Lord appeared to Abraham and gave him this promise, to your descendants I'll give this land. And so when God reveals himself, when God shows, teaches Abraham something about himself and God's plan for his life that he didn't know, what does Abraham do? He builds an altar. Then Abraham travels down a bit farther, and what does he do there? He builds an altar. Everywhere this guy goes, he builds an altar. That tells me two things. First of all, that worship is at the center of who he is. Meeting with the Lord. Worshiping God. Hearing what God has to say. And we need to make worship at the center of our, our relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> Experiencing his love and his grace and his bread. That needs to be at the center of what we're doing. The second thing is, you know, when you build altars wherever you go, they serve a purpose. Because you see, Abraham's traveling around. He, the guy's still mobile, right? 
He's still traveling. And everywhere he goes, there's this pile of rocks. And so what's he do? He's going to gather his kids and all the people around him, and he's going to say, you see that pile of rocks right there? Yes, yeah, Daddy, we see it. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you what God taught us about his nature there. Let me, he, he, he built into the way he lived these reminders, physical, visible reminders of God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's interaction in people's lives. And he said, oh man, kids, you, let's not, every time you walk past that pile of rocks, you look at it and you think that's a pile of rocks. It is not. It is not. God did something in our lives there. A couple of years ago, I went back to my home church in Ohio where I got saved. They've since rebuilt the church. They re relocated uh, to a better location. Church was growing. But they moved a lot of the old furniture, and they kept a lot of it, including the old altars. And I was able to go to the place where I met Jesus. My faith doesn't depend on that, but it's nice. It's nice to go back to the altar. Remind me what God did for me there, what God's done for me since. And that's what Abraham wanted to do. He wanted to be able to go back to the altar to remind himself what God had done in his life and how, how things were working. I don't know what's happening in your church. I don't know if your church is doing great or if your church is having problems probably a combination of both. But the challenge that I would give you is the same one here. Abraham went without reserve. He went farther. He didn't settle for tragedy. He went farther than his father. He let God bless him. He believed God. Even though he went to a place that was full of Canaanites. And everywhere he went, he built an altar, and he took people with him. He took people with him. That's what, that's what Bill Borden wrote in his Bible when God put a call on his life. And maybe you and I have never written that in our Bibles, but we know we should have it someday. All of us can look back at some point in time in our lives where God put his finger on us and we realized there was a special call. I, I, you know, a lot of Methodist churches, including the one that I, that uh, not the one I grew up in as a kid, but the one I did in youth, they not only emphasize the importance of being born again, they also emphasize the importance of being spirit-filled, of a coming to the place in our lives where we not only receive God's forgiveness and salvation, but we put our all on the altar and are spirit-filled, have our hearts cleansed, as, as uh, Thessalonians says, getting our hearts cleansed through and through. The old-timers used to talk about sanctified entirely. The scripture, that those, those are biblical terms, even though a lot of times they're out of, out of popularity these days. 
letting God sanctify you through and through. For me, that happened at a camp meeting. The same pastor who was preaching when I got saved had a cottage at an old-style camp meeting, would sometimes take us kids there, encouraged us to go. And uh, one time I was there, and I slept on the sofa in his little cottage at the camp meeting. And God had been dealing with me about yielding my all to the Lord. Now, I had already said yes to be a missionary. And you might think, oh, just if you've said yes to be a missionary, then you've totally given yourself to the Lord. But I hadn't. Mm -hmm. There were still some areas of my life that were out of bounds to the work of the Holy Spirit. And all during that week at the camp meeting, the Lord was dealing with me. Give me your all. Let me cleanse your heart. And at the end of the camp, near the end of the camp meeting, the Sunday morning service, I'd struggled. I'd struggled. The Sunday morning service, the pastor stood up. He was, and in fact, he wasn't even a preacher or an evangelist. He was a layman who was pinch-hitting that day because the evangelist couldn't be there that Sunday. It was a layman who was preaching. He got up and he announced his scripture for the day. And this is the will of God, even your sanctification. I knew today was the day for me to give my all to the Lord. And at the end of the service, I didn't wait for the first line of the 12th verse. <laughs> I'd learned a little bit since then. I've learned to obey quickly. Well, I hope it's a lesson we've all learned. And on the first line of the first verse of whatever song they said, I think it was Have Thine Own Way. I went down there, and the pastor who had preached when I came to Christ prayed with me to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. No reserves. No reserves. And that's the challenge I leave with all of us tonight, or this afternoon. Let's make sure we have no reserves. And yet there's very possible thing that in our, li our lives get complicated. Our lives get noisy. And it's possible that some of you may have some reserves. Let's lay those before the Lord, huh? Ask him to help us. We lay all of those things on the altar. Let's pray together and then I'll introduce you to my friend Lazarus. Lord Jesus. We love you today and thank you so much for your absolutely incredible and amazing love and patience with us. And we pray that every one of us in our lives, that Lord, we would have no reserves. And Lord, if there's any area of our life that we have reserved for us, help us to lay that on the altar and give it to you. Lord, it might be our money, it might be our thought life. Yes, it might be how, what we surf on the internet. It might be how we interact with our family. It might be how we do business. Mm -hmm. It might be, Lord, how, we're, how we do things in our church, how we interact with people, perhaps with whom we have difficult relations. Lord Jesus, no reserves, no reserves. We want, you, we want to give you all, all. And so we pray for your help.
In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was in college, I worked with inner city kids for the Salvation Army every summer at one of their summer camps. Most of these kids were kids, uh, black kids out of the ghettos of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm not, I'm not a basketball player in case you, my physique uh, might not have shown that to you. But uh, I was trying, we wanted to reach these kids for Christ. And uh, we had a group that, would, that came in one time and did a puppet show for the kids. And the, I watched those kids just eat it up, just eat it up. And I said, Lord, I would really like to do something for kids' ministries. And I had a chance to learn how to be a ventriloquist my senior year of college. And then, uh, so then I, I started doing ventriloquism, and I've been doing it uh, ever since. And I'd like to introduce to you my sidekick, Lazarus. Lazarus is a little boy from Africa. Oh, it is good to get out of that suitcase. It is? Yeah. Why? It stinks in there. It does? Yeah. What happened? I flushed the toilet and it overflowed. You don't have a toilet in your suitcase. No wonder it stinks in there. Oh, no, come on. That's, that's disgusting. That's not why it stinks. You left your smelly socks? That's probably it. That's probably it. Uh, you know Lazarus. Yeah, I know Lazarus. He's a nice guy. Let's show everybody how smart you are. You better watch out. Why? They'll find out how stupid you are. Hey, I went to school, stupid. Well, you came out the same way. <laughs> you better watch your tongue. I can't. Why? My nose is in the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know Lazarus. Yeah, I know Lazarus. Come on now. Uh, tell them a little bit about Africa. Oh, it's a wonderful place. Yeah, it is. We've got all kinds of... Uh, of uh, uh, great animals there in Africa. Oh, yeah. We got, we got lions, lions, and zebras, yeah, and rhinos, and hippos, yeah, and giraffes, yeah, and, and uh, zebras, and all kinds of great animals, right? Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you, you're probably afraid of lions, aren't you? No. You're not afraid of lions? No. Why aren't you afraid of lions? I'm made out of wood. Lions don't eat wood. <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, I, I don't like I don't like termites. <laughs> yeah, I, kind of <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. No, lions don't bother me. That's that's good. I don't like dogs. You don't like dogs? No. Why don't you like dogs? I used to be a tree. Okay, well, that makes sense. I've had some bad experiences, <laughs> yeah. And I really don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I'm sure you probably don't. But, uh, yeah, so we got the wild animals, and that's, that's a very interesting. Africa is a, it's a fascinating, fascinating place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the most interesting thing is the people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kenya has 42 different tribes. Uganda has 40 tribes. And a, a number of the tribes, there's a good, strong Christian presence in them. But a lot of places, there's still unreached people groups there. And we think everybody, we think everybody ought to know, right? Right, right. And, and, and lots of kids. That's true, a lot of kids. Africa is a very young continent. Over half of the people in Kenya, where you've been, and in Uganda are 15 or younger. Wow. Very young, very young. Over half of the people who have ever lived in Africa are alive today. That's true. Wow. Half the people who have ever lived, ever, 
are alive today. So we try to tell them about the Lord. That's right. We try to tell them about the Lord. Yeah. Sing a song for us. Uh, Jesus loves the little children, right? All the children of the world, yeah, red and yellow, pink and blue. Wait, 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 wait. That is not the way the song goes. Yeah, but I like it that way. All right, sing it your way. Red and yellow, pink and blue, yeah. Hey, David, I love you. There you go. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Yes, he does. And that's one of our greatest joys is introducing kids to know Jesus. Isn't that right? That's right. Okay. Tell the guys you're glad you're here. Huh? Tell the guys you're glad you're here. Doesn't make any sense. No, tell them you're glad you're here. You're glad you're here. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Tell them you're glad you're here. I did. No, tell them you're glad you're here. I did. Tell them you're glad you're here. I did. Tell them you're glad you're here. I did. <laughs> Tell them you're glad you're here. Oh, I get it now. Okay. You're glad you're here. <laughs> Lazarus. Yeah, John. Say, I'm glad I'm here. He's glad he's here. Well, that's true, too. Say goodnight, Lazarus. Good night, Lazarus. Now, go sit, go sit in your suitcase. Can I have a glass of water? No. How about a Coke? No. Why not? Because you wet the suitcase. That's why. Now, later <laughs> So, Lazarus is a lot of fun. There's a lot of places in Africa I cannot use him because it would be viewed as witchcraft. Voices coming out of a person who is not speaking, and they would think it's demons. So, a lot of places I... I don't do it and can't even let them know. But in the cities, they've seen TV and they've seen puppet shows and they kind of understand a little more how it works. But the thing about reaching kids, that's really true. We love reaching kids with the gospel. Half of the people who have ever lived in Africa are alive today. Okay, that's it for this session. Uh, we'll come back tonight and we'll take a look at no retreats. Yep. Pick up, pick up one of the prayer cards up here. Would love for you to have one. And ask me about farming God's way, which is one of the ministries we do, doing evangelism, discipleship, and improved agricultural training with farmers. And on the average, farmers are getting double the yields and changing their lives. And we do that training through the church. And I got a bunch of photos I'd love to show you. So be sure to pick up a prayer card and ask me about farming God's way. Thank you, John. Okay, y'all, we got a break now. Bill, why don't you walk us through what we're doing? It's 5.30. We go across the street to uh, Golden Crowley. For those that aren't here, tell us what we got and how we roll out. Yeah, um, David, before we go, if you'll have someone like Bill Bless the food, she'll do that. If you'll gather in our marketplace on the other side of the building here in the parking lot right before we get to uh, Golden Corral at uh, 5.25, I'll go there first. Everything will be paid for. Get in line and tell me what you want to drink. Most of you guys remember when we had went to the uh, uh, the banquet room.